0: Science. Discovery. Rehashing
1: science. Letty, what if I told you that something as simple as drinking warm water or a cup of coffee can trigger the delivery of drugs in your body?
0: Hmm... I would say it sounds impossible.
1: Well, not anymore. In a new study published in Science Translational Medicine by MIT and the Brigham Women's Hospital, scientists leveraged temperature-sensitive materials to deliver drugs in the gastrointestinal tract. Interestingly, they used warm fluids like coffee and tea as a stimulus to trigger the device, to release a drug of choice, and to
0: excrete the device. This means that we can achieve more control on drug delivery than we thought before. We are lucky to have two authors of the paper Dr. Sahab Babai, the first author, and Dr. Giovanni Traverso, the senior and corresponding author of the paper. Welcome, Dr. Sahab Babai and Dr. Traverso. Can
1: you tell us a little bit more about your background and career path?
0: I'm Gio Traverso, I'm a gastroenterologist by engineer based at. Harvard at
2: Brigham and Women's, and also at MIT in the Department of Mechanical Engineering. And our group really focuses on the development of new systems for drug delivery and sensing via the GI tract. And I think it might be worth just taking a step back. And So as I mentioned, our group really focuses on the development of systems, uh, devices, dosage forms, to deliver drugs and a whole range of drugs through the GI tract, as well as devices that have the capacity to sense a whole range of signals through the GI tract. One of the key areas that we focus on has to do with systems that can reside inside of the GI tract for a long time to really facilitate either long-term dosing of drugs or long-term monitoring of your favorite signal or a signal that we recognize can have a potential uh, impact with respect to monitoring the health status of a patient. Now, whenever we develop systems, one of the key things that we think of are the safety considerations that are associated with those devices. And as part of that, we focus a lot on how to remove or trigger an event that facilitates either dosing or actual removal of that system. So when one thinks about triggers, we think about triggers that can be easily deployed into the field, meaning that they can be taken by by patients, for example, um, that are safe, and that can have an effect relatively quickly. Because often the situations from a safety perspective that we're looking to mitigate are ones that we would like to act upon relatively quickly. Then actually a few years ago, a global regulatory body passed some guidance noting that hot drinks, particularly ones above 75 degrees Celsius are associated with certain cancers of the esophagus. What we wondered was, well, what if we're dosing hot fluids or warm fluids for that matter that are much lower, but are still warm? Could we use that temperature difference to trigger an event? And that led us to characterize how Heat dissipates when someone, for example, drinks a warm cup of tea or coffee for that matter. Part of this work really set out to define the dynamics of heat dissipation in the upper GI tract, in the esophagus and the stomach. The first step really was administering warm fluids that varied in volume in the upper GI tract of a large mammal. That large mammal was a pig sitting in an upright position where a series of temperature sensors was placed in the upper GI tract to help characterize heat dissipation.
3: My name is Saha Babai. I'm a postdoc here in the Langer Lab. I have a PhD in mechanical engineering. The focus of this project is from a mechanics point of view was on like designing some multimaterial devices capable of significant shape change you know, through the GI tract. And we use that for different applications. And you know, the basic of this project is focused on uh, if we can make the device made of like different components. That these components, basically, each of them can perform specific function. So, for example, we have some elastic element in the structure that provides flexibility for these designs. So we can basically pack this structure to the smallest space. Then they can pass through the GI tract. We have some temperature trigger element that we can trigger them either through drinking some amount of water or uh, just by uh, spraying with the warm water. So the bottom line of this project, we were aiming for making some devices that we can use them for drug delivery. And then uh, once we are done with the drug delivery, we can trigger those thermal linkers to basically disassemble the whole structure and push them outside the body.
1: So the title of your paper is Temperature Responsive Biometamaterials for Gastrointestinal Applications. What is biometamaterials?
3: So metamaterials are defined as materials with some kind of unusual property, basically beyond the typical materials. And biometamaterials refers to metamaterials with biomedical applications.
1: And why did you use a pig as the animal model?
2: So, you know, we do a lot of work with pigs, and, and the reason that we do that is because The anatomy and the dimensions are closest to humans, and so that's really the main motivation. And really a goal of a lot of what we do is trying to develop systems that we can then translate into the clinic, demonstrating the proof of concept in a pig really facilitates that.
0: So I would like to dive a little bit deeper in the devices design and the principles. You presented two devices that change the conformations and deliver drugs in the paper. One that you call a flower-like device that can reside in the esophagus, and the second one that resides in the stomach and deliver drugs for over two weeks. Could you walk us through the device? principles and uh, the goal that you were aiming to achieve?
2: We defined how heat dissipates. We essentially identified two zones in the upper GI tract. We identified the esophagus and very upper portion of the stomach as a zone where heat is does start to dissipate, but that the difference between 37 and the fluid is still significant enough that it can be used as a very specific trigger and we recognize a second zone which is the stomach as a zone that is shielded or protected from those temperature differences and then that helped inform some of the design parameters around the devices that were shown in the paper
0: and your heat dissipations experiment is based on the pigs how you can correlate this with the human body
2: I mean, I think to to actually identify the exact dynamics, we would have to repeat this in humans. I think we also recognize that there's probably some variation depending on the specific sort of dimensions of the individuals. So uh, children, for example, probably might be a little bit different just for very simply because of the distances and the surface areas that are slightly different. Um, But again, the reason that we chose the pig is because the dimensions are closest to adult, but certainly in order to, to really fully flesh that out, we would have to repeat that.
1: So can you tailor the material to be sensitive to different temperatures?
3: In our design, we used two different temperature responsive materials. The first one was basically shape memory alloys. We used nitinol, so basically you can have nitinols with different transition temperature. And the one that we used was like with transition temperature around 55 degrees Celsius. And again, the reason was because we were able to reach around that temperature in the esophagus. So uh, that's why we use like a, a, you know, nitinol in the wire form, you know, with a transition temperature 55 degrees Celsius. And for the other device in the stomach, we use polymeric based uh, material. It's basically a mixture of uh, PCL, polycaprolactone, and some other elasticizer That uh, it just shows some softening once it triggers with uh, you know warm water around fifty five degree. So you can tune that temperature for those polymers just by adding some other polymers. You know you have to start with the polymer with the let's say. Uh, transition temperature close to your goal. And then you can add some elasticizer or plasticizer or some other excipient to tune the temperature. So as you mentioned, we introduced two different designs. The first one was the uh, basically the flower-like device, which we inspired from blooming flower. It was a multi-material device, which like a capsule size device, it can expand in your esophagus like a flower. So basically you have some polymeric arms out of PCL and you have some uh, drug-loaded millisized needle attached to the arm Uh, and you have some elastic element like a polymeric element that helps for expansion of the device. You also have uh, some nitinol element in the form of torsional springs with the transition temperature that we already basically based on those in vivo heat dissipation experiment, we found that we can reach that specific temperature in the esophagus. So the way that device works is the device can expand in your esophagus based on the elastic energy stored in the elastic material. And then once the device basically expands, the needle can penetrate to the esophageal wall, release the drug, and then after, let's say, one or two minutes, the patient can drink warm water with the specific volume rate and temperature And then we can trigger those nitinols, those springs that the whole device can basically recover its original shape in the size of capsule.
0: So we know that several stimuli responsive devices and materials has been developed for drug delivery. One of the challenge with these devices and systems are the response. So there are, most of them are very slow response. How fast are your devices to response? by triggering them with hot water or hot fluids.
3: That was actually one of our motivations that we use nitinol because it's time response. It's much faster than other responsive material, that sometimes it takes like a few hours, even a few days to show the response that you want. I think you can imagine that the nitinol is like very, very quick. Once it triggers with the warm water or warm liquid, it can just show the response in a second. So that was actually an you know, important point in this study that we focused to design a device that we can trigger and see the response as quick as possible.
1: The microneedle. So is there any health concerns regarding penetration into the lining of the GI tract?
2: As far as the microneedles or needles in general, two gastroenterologists routinely use actually injections in the GI tract. And so endoscopic needles and needle injections have been used in, you know, from the esophagus, stomachs, small, intestine, colon. You know, all the way through. And as long as the needles are of a certain size and sort of length generally carries a low risk, but that's an area that we do a lot of work in actually, and have developed you know, a whole range of systems for drug delivery.
0: So currently many gastric devices need to be removed by pulling them. How one can pass these devices that you developed? When it
2: breaks up, the individual segments are small enough that they can transit through the body. And so that was. You know, one of the design parameters that was considered in the gastric resonance systems, and you know that helps mitigate the risk of damage of the esophagus.
3: So those needles that we have, they're like, I mean, they're dissolvable milli needles, and the needles can just dissolve after, let's say, two minutes. So it's not like we have a metallic needle inside, and we don't need to think about how we can remove them.
1: And there's two drugs you tested for your device. How did you go about choosing which drug to test for your devices?
3: For the microstructure in the stomach, we had two different drugs. So because the focus of this study was like about long-term drug release, the fact that the rate of basically drug uh, medication adherence for some of the drugs or some of the patients is higher than the other patients. So for example, we focused on carbamazepine, which is the drug for people with uh, bipolar disorder. And the rate of medication adherence for these people is lower than medication, basically non-adherence, is higher than other people, like other patients. And we show that we can get, you know, long-term release up to two weeks.
0: And early in our conversation, you mentioned that hot fluid ingestion has been associated with a potential increase in cancer. What is the ideal range of temperature for ingesting hot fluids?
2: From what I recall, The temperatures that have been associated are somewhere above 70 Celsius. We wanted to stay away from the temperatures that others have recognized to be potentially associated with cancer, and so we focus on 55 to really try and understand and use as a trigger.
1: And when you think about the clinical application of this device, would you say if someone is taking a medication using this device, you would also limit? the kind of intake of fluid in order to prevent it from being deployed or affected.
2: So, you know, one of the things that we tested was all the way up to 250 milliliters, which is a lot, you know, a standard gulp as such is somewhere between 14 to 17. But here, even up to 250 in a single administration, even then the heat dissipates in the stomach. So it's sufficient to trigger things in the esophagus, but in the stomach, that heat is no and so those systems that reside are safe and that's that was part of that initial characterization to really try and inform you know what are the boundary conditions that we're operating
0: in and then use those to start to design some of these systems and how safe are the devices to keep inside the human body no that's
2: a great question i mean these devices were tested you know are ones that were prototyped for this study there are a range of gastric resident devices that are approved in, in clinical use, You know, in particular, the bariatric balloons. Certainly, the safety or, or at least the complication rates are better understood for those kinds of systems. These specific ones were designed so that they are fenestrated, meaning that fluid can flow. They're not a solid balloon. They're more like a skeleton, essentially. So that helps minimize the risk of potential transient obstructions but we've evaluated these in pigs and they appear to be safe but you know should we want to continue translating these specific designs we would have to validate that in you know further preclinical models and then eventually humans as well
0: and does this help accelerate the process for FDA approval
2: de-risking in general, in a large animal model, allows us to at least help move things faster into further preclinical testing, whether it be pigs and dogs, and so overall it may be, but nevertheless, I mean, you know, in order to get to an FDA standard, sort of regulatory stage, further preclinical testing, and probably both pigs and dogs would have to be performed.
0: Are you planning to apply the same principle designs for other applications?
2: You know, we think a lot about the triggering and so certainly, you know, as part of coming up with solutions to these challenges, some of the boundary conditions as far as the time that it takes to trigger, you know, an important factor that we take into consideration as we're thinking about new triggering systems. As far as the safety sort of and the general performance, those are certainly considerations that we take into account. So certainly a lot of the principles are ones that carry through for the development of new gastrointestinal devices that are aimed to reside in the body for prolonged periods.
1: As a clinician, how does your clinical experience inform your research?
2: It does to a tremendous extent. So a lot of the work that we do is in the GI tract to this day, and so having an understanding of both the basic anatomy, physiology, but also pathophysiology, helps at least me and others to have a better appreciation on what the needs are, what the potential solutions are and, and as part of the needs, you know, what are the unknowns that where having greater knowledge and deeper understanding can really lead to new solutions. But I think as an internist even, I personally think of, uh, about different challenges that patients may have and often in the lab we have solutions that are adjacent or potentially could solve the problem just simply by applying the technology in perhaps a different you know slightly orthogonal way as a clinician who also participates in the biomedical innovation process you know laboratory process research process there's a lot of crosstalk probably over 95% of what we do is very applied and that's i think what people see
0: from the work that we do how far you think your device is going to be in transition from the bench to the bedside?
2: I mean our goal is really to get uh, the developments that we have at the bench all the way to the patients and you know there's several examples of companies that we've started that help do that translation. I think there are very key elements that we hope will transition to benefit patients, particularly some of these fundamental concepts of having these large systems sit in the stomach for prolonged periods really addresses a major unmet need in drug delivery science of how do we establish a large drug depot that can slowly release drug over a prolonged period.
1: And Sahab, what's kind of next for you? Are you going to continue on developing a better version of this current project, or are you moving on to a different device?
3: Yeah, actually we are working on different devices, you know, for different applications. I personally think about how we can improve the, you know, the performance, the way that it operates inside the body. In the meanwhile, we have other devices that maybe we can think about other, you know, triggering system rather than temperature. We are basically working on all these different paths to see which one is like more promising.
1: Yeah, can you give us a sneak peek of what's coming up and what should we look forward to for the next projects? Sure,
3: we are also working on. I mean, I would call it like next generation of the stands that we can deliver therapeutics through a kind of a new mechanical engineering design. So we are thinking about like a next version that we can take advantage of some mechanical deformation, some kind of transition in the shape of the stand to get better drug release to the tissue
0: through penetration. Okay, so. These devices are warm fluid responsive devices to trigger and release the drug. If it happens to transition these devices to patients, how you can regulate how many times a person can drink a warm fluid? You know, this is where
2: going back to the initial characterization is really important, where there are these two zones that are defined. So I think the systems, for example, the esophageal systems, are likely to be actuation events that facilitate acute or short-term effects. So it's not something that we want to keep there for a long time, Mm -hmm. exactly for the reason that you highlighted. It's very difficult to impose on someone to avoid drinking or eating materials above a certain temperature. Now, on the gastric side, that is a protected zone. And so there you could drink as much coffee as you would like. And because of the heat dissipation that occurs, those systems, those devices that have these temperature sensitive linking elements are protected because of the body's capacity to help you know, the heat dissipate from the warm materials that are being ingested.
0: So, I believe this is an incredible phenomenon and design for the next generation of drug delivery systems. Uh, Are you planning for any clinical trials?
2: We're trying to really develop the next generation of large dose drug delivery systems, and that's something that we're actively working on across multiple different device designs, and we hope that some of these will transition into human trials over the next five years. There's still quite a bit of work on the preclinical side, but there's a lot of work ongoing in that area.
0: Thank you very much for the incredible discussion about this incredible paper. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Traverso and Dr. Babai.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. Let us know about your thoughts on today's topic on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.